0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: So after a grueling qualification process and having to wait an extra year to get it started with 24 teams, we are now down to our final four of Euro 2020. So let's dive in and talk about how we got here after some highly entertaining quarterfinals. What is up, everybody? And yes, it's not Luis Miguel Echegaray. It's Jimmy Conrad in the hosting seat. And boy, Luis, this seat is comfortable as I welcome Jonathan Johnson into the show. JJ, great to see you as always. Must be buzzing after these quarterfinals.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you just think that this tournament has delivered everything that it can, and then it throws up another bunch of absolutely fascinating games, great results, dramatic moments. And uh, yeah, we've got so much to look forward to in the semifinals now as well.
1: Yeah, and a lot to break down. So let's kind of work backwards. We're going to do it chronologically. Let's talk about Spain versus Switzerland. Anytime I see Spain playing against everybody, I always think the joke is they're going to have 85% possession, but not score. But they're figuring out ways to get on the end of it, or at least they were prior to the Swiss game. They almost gave it away when it went to penalties. I thought, Oh no. And I thought I felt bad for the Swiss. They gave up an own goal who leads the tournament in the golden boot category. And then they got a red card. I don't know how you felt about that. Everything that you shouldn't do in a big, big, meaningful match for your country. They did. And they almost still survived, but it was a little bit too much to ask as Spain got through. What were your thoughts on that game overall?
2: Yeah, it was uh, you know a really topsy turvy encounter. Obviously, I have to feel bad for Zakaria being given the the own goal. It's it's funny uh, you know because when the Swiss got back into it, Freule teeing up the assist when he got sent off uh, about ten minutes later. It really reminded me of Atalanta. Uh, when Frohler got sent off uh, against PSG in the Champions League a couple of seasons ago, you know, it really pushed them to their absolute limits. Atalanta didn't manage to hold on that time. Switzerland did. They went all the way to penalties. You know, as we've already seen, you know, penalties in any tournament at any given time are, are always a lottery. But in this particular tournament, anything and everything can happen. You know, you go from thinking that Switzerland are actually going to come out on top. Uh, and then Spain, you know, managing to, to, to claw it back. So really painful way for, for Switzerland to go out. And I know that me with my, uh, you, know, you know, my investment in the French team and, you know, be, putting my French hat on, I shouldn't feel too bad for them because <laughs> of that. But uh, no, it's, uh, it, it, it always sucks, uh, you know, to, to be a team that, that loses out on penalties. And especially the Swiss, after that heroic effort against the French, you know, if they'd made it through, they would have had Granite Jacker back as well. So, yeah, obviously major disappointment from them. Uh, but, you know, they can go out with their heads held high. Zommer as well, one of the players of the tournament so far.
1: Yeah, no question. I thought Zomer and goal was fantastic. When they went to penalties, now leading up to that, Spain had missed five consecutive penalties. And when Busquets missed the first one, I was like, here we go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Spain cannot score penalties. But I think actually because the Swiss had to do penalties against France, that gave an advantage to the Spain team because they saw what all of their players were going to do. Also, I would like to add that when Raymond Froyler got that red card, they took off Shakiri to bring on a defender to hold on to that lead. Now, had he not gotten that red card, I actually want your thoughts on whether you thought it was a red or not. If, if that didn't happen or if it was just a yellow, Shakiri still would have been on the field and he most likely would have taken one of those penalties and we could argue probably would have made it given his quality. So do you think it was a red card? I mean,
2: it's, it's one of those ones where you've seen them given before, uh, you know, but you've also seen them not given. You know, I've, I've seen players go off for worse, but also I've seen players go off uh, for less as well. It's, it's just a real shame, uh, especially at this stage when it ends up, you know, playing a role in, in, in potentially costing a team. So, you know, I do, I do feel for him. But at the same time, Froehler seems to get himself in these situations quite often, both for club and country.
1: No, I'm glad you brought up his club, actually, because this is one of the little sidebars I wanted to talk about with you and our audience in particular. Atalanta's players in this tournament. We're talking Freuler, we're talking Pasina, who scored a couple of vital goals for Italy, uh, Mirenchuk for Russia, Darun, Netherlands, uh, Melanovsky for Ukraine, Pasović for Croatia, Freuler, as we mentioned, and then the, the, the Danish defender, Yokimale. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable how influential all these players have been, and you wonder how much longer they're going to be at Atalanta.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But also at the same time, it kind of rubs Andrea Agnelli's face in it even more when Atalanta players are not (laughs) only performing at club level, but they're performing at international level as well. No, it's, you know, it is really fantastic because Atalanta have been one of the great stories to follow, especially since we've been covering Champions League on CBS. You know, we've been sort of privy to this uh, fantastic story of theirs. Uh, you know, and it's really great to see them delivering on the international stage as well. We all know how well Atalanta scout these players. You know, they pluck people from relative obscurity or, you know, from sources where you don't really expect them to be tapping into talent. And then they bring them into this team. Uh, you know, they they sort of take on a new uh, a new aura. Uh, you know, some of them even start playing in, in completely new positions. And it's, it's interesting, actually, because Atalanta uh, have, have plucked themselves a goalkeeper from Udinese in Juan Musso uh, during this tournament and there are a lot of people now starting to ask whether this squad's actually equipped to potentially win Serie A next season now that they filled that that final outstanding role but you know I'm glad that you that you brought them up because you know they have sort of as far as all of the squads go uh, at the, at this Euro you know they have the players who have been performing the best by by far and it's you know it's really It's really great to see them, uh, you know, being given the recognition that they deserve a bit of fear for them going into next season with so many players who will have, uh, you know, been really pushed to their limits Mm -hmm. this summer. But also at the same time, if any club, uh, you know, uh, will be in a position to to scout well and and make sure their resources aren't spread too thinly, it'll be
1: Atalanta. Yeah, fair play to Giampiero Gasparini, the manager who has done... Well, I don't know if he's worked a miracle there, but he's put a lot of things in place to make sure, or make it look like a miracle in a lot of different ways. All right, so when I think about that game overall, just put a little button on it, nice little bow on Swiss versus Spain. I just wanna say that you need a little bit of luck to win any competition. And you're gonna have that one game where you maybe don't play very well, but you still get through. And I think Spain got that. Very similar to Italy getting it against Austria. So let's pivot now to the Italians who are next in the quarterfinal list chronologically. They took on Belgium. And they were fantastic in that first half, scoring two very good goals. Where do you want to start here, JJ? Because do you want to maybe nitpick the Belgians where there's a lot of criticism about Kevin De Bruyne? Didn't really show up in the Champions League final. Didn't show up here as well. Pretty invisible, all things considered. Though I think there should be a caveat, given the fact that he probably wasn't 100%, but tried to gut it out anyway. Or do we want to focus on the Italians, who have been very good on both sides of the ball?
2: You know what, why don't we cut it down the middle and we'll focus on injuries instead, because I'm <laughs> absolutely devi- I'm absolutely devastated for Spinazzola. Uh, you know, he's had a, such a fantastic tournament, uh, you know, a guy who's really had a bit of a bittersweet career so far. Uh, you know, for him to have his Euro uh, finished so abruptly like that, it's a real shame because he's been one of their standout performers so far. And on the flip side, you know, yeah, okay, I mean, I can understand people being disappointed with De Bruyne, but also at the same time, you know, for him to just be there, considering everything that he was going through towards the end of the season, you know, that was that was still quite an achievement. I mean, everybody knew going into that game that, you know, it was going to be miraculous if De Bruyne could, could feature heavily, uh, you know, and it was always looking highly doubtful that Eden Hazard was going to play any part at all. You know, I think for Belgium to be without those two guys, especially at a, a major moment of reckoning for this national team, because this was the feeling that it was this golden generation's last opportunity to really prove themselves and, and, and win something. So I think to blame it all on De Bruyne, especially when he obviously wasn't uh, fully fit, uh, you know, would be quite harsh. And I also think that in a couple of years time, we'll probably see, uh, you know, the the the, the impact, the damage that, that him putting his body on the line for club and country has done uh, in the last couple of weeks and months, uh, because, you know, there's not many people talking about it now, but the impact that that could potentially have on his career, you know, especially someone who's so important uh, for, for both club and country, uh, you know, I, I don't think that that should be underestimated.
1: Yeah, I think we're still, what, months, maybe years from now from really looking back and seeing the toll, the physical toll and mental toll and emotional toll uh, on these players and everybody involved in making sure we continue to produce games and produce sporting events, no matter what the cost, get them out there. We have TV contracts that we have to fulfill. Okay, so let's talk. When you say Belgium, I do want to say something about them really quick, and then we can pivot to Italy. When you look at that back line, though, you got Vertonghen. You have Vermalen. You got Alderwealds. For all you North London fans, that's probably not the best lineup of three that you want to see. Maybe five or six years ago, sure. Those guys were definitely in peak form, but not so much now. When I look at uh, Insigne's goal in particular, the, he wears the number 10 shirt. They know he's dangerous. To allow him just to run up and do his thing and then get a shot when you know that he's capable of that, I thought was pretty disappointing from their perspective. Didn't have enough urgency in those key moments in that particular one, which led to the goal. And I think it gave Italy that belief. Hey, we're up to." I think we can manage and see this out. And given the fact that they hadn't give up any goals through 90 minutes up until that point, necessarily they give up an extra time goal to Austria it was interesting. And I think that was always going to be their Achilles heel was that back line. And I think it reared its head and obviously not closing down Nika Barella and his first goal, very well taken from Barella. So I don't know, Belgium have this golden generation, but maybe not in all areas of the field. It seemed like they're attacking players and I actually want to get your thoughts on Jeremy Doku in, in because He's 19 years old from Ren. He he drew the penalty that uh, Romelu Lukaku finished. He cannot be at Ren for too much longer. Can we just pivot really quick and talk about Doku and and uh, where you think he's headed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I do think that he'll be at Ren for a little bit longer because I think there's some aspects of his game that he need, really needs to refine. Of course, uh, you know he has the raw attributes to be a a fantastic player. Uh, you know that speed. Is searing. Uh, you know, it can be quite frightening. Uh, but he's taken his time to adapt to French football. I think we'll probably only see the best of him next season. It wasn't exactly the, the easiest of campaigns last uh, last term for Rennes. You know, they were in the Champions League weren't really equipped to deal with that. There was a lot of pressure on Camavinga to deliver, which, uh, you know, he sort of wilted under. And I think coming into this new season, you know, with everybody, with their minds clear, with Bruno Genesio in charge and, uh, you know, a new outlook on the way that they're playing, then I definitely think that somebody like Doku can come to the fore. And if he... Turns into Ren's key man for this coming season. I definitely think that next summer we'll see him on the move. I think it's too soon since his move from Anderlecht to, to see him uh, on the move this summer. But then again, when you consider the absolute shit show that French football is right now in, in terms <laughs> of its financial situation, there is no, there is barely any player outside of PSG's squad. There's no player at any club who's really you know 100 not for sale. Yeah, sure, Ren would not would prefer not to let him go. But, you know, if the right money is offered on the back of these Euro performances, uh, then who knows that, you know, the situation really is that bad. But he's, he's definitely someone I'm hoping to be able to, to keep a close eye on there uh, this coming season.
1: Well, you bring up a good point. And I think of Renato Sanchez after the 2016 Euros, where you could see his potential. And obviously, he realized it again in these Euros, and he played well for Lille this past season, quietly played well. I don't think he got the credit that he deserved to help that club. But he wasn't ready when he made that move after the Euros to go to Bayern Munich. And I think Doku could fall into that same category where just be patient. You don't have to leave just yet. You have so many years of your career. Just give it another year or two of fine tuning, because if you do make that move to the big club and if you don't perform right away, they're just going to go with the other players that can't perform right away. They can see what you have, but if you're not ready, you're not ready. So I kind of think of Renato Sanchez in terms of his situation and having that tournament where you open your open everybody's eyes to what you're capable of. All right, let's talk about the winners though. That's enough about Belgium. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the winners and, and Italy. It seems like Roberto Mancini, the manager is pressing all the right buttons outside of also being the best dress manager and his whole staff at the tournament. Do you think they have what it takes and almost let's pivot this into a, a light preview of Italy versus Spain to, to get past Spain and then also maybe make a run to win it all.
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I said at the very beginning of the tournament when I did my prediction that they reminded me a lot of Germany. They they are how Germany used to be. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're ruthlessly efficient. But, you know, I think that there's there's something more to them uh, than the typical German sides, you know, that they're a lot more likeable for a start <laughs> and it's it's just it's all, it's almost impossible not to thrive off this positive energy that's that's going around the Italian camp at the moment and there's a good mix of experience and youth uh you know but also at the same time you've got that bromance between Mancini and Viali on the touchline which is always great to see uh and you know you've got some phenomenally talented players in there as well i mean there was so much debate about whether Marco Verratti could walk back into this team at the expense of Locatelli Verratti's walked back into that <laughs> team. And, you
1: know,
2: he's performing. You know, he he teed up the goal for Balea, Uh, you know, and he he hasn't put a foot wrong since uh, since being reinstated in that starting eleven. Uh, you know, and I just think that this Italian side they're, they're primed to go that step further. I can't say if they're necessarily going to win at all, but it really wouldn't surprise me to see them get past Spain. I think Spain. I mean, it would be harsh to say that they don't deserve to have come this far. But they have had a few quite lucky moments uh, so far in this tournament, and of course, like you rightly pointed out earlier, you know, luck is, uh, you know, a part of success at international level, especially in a tournament like this. But I feel that you know, Italy are making uh, their own luck, whereas Spain have have profited at times from some almost inexplicable, uh, you know, mistakes and gaffes and, and you know, just weird things that happen in the in this wonderful game. So for me, I do think that I can see Italy going that step further to the final.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's because of their balance. Spain, for me in particular, very vulnerable in that back line, despite all the names we could throw at you. And and that's been a bit of a surprise. The fact that they've just given up a lot of chances and anytime they have the lead. And actually, I think it hurts Spain when they score first because they score early, excuse me, because then, like what, I guess we're just going to keep the ball the whole time. You know, you just kind of uh, invite that pressure to come and come and come. And I think what the Italians have done very well is their high press and and is a good example of that. I thought he's the one that kind of really was the catalyst to get it going for Barella's goal. And then even when Insigne's goal, their press was very, very stout and it was purposeful and it was meaningful. And everybody was going together at the same time. And that is obviously a key sign to having success with any press. So that, that Spain, uh, possession mixed, or I guess going directly against the Italian press is going to be really interesting to see for all you tactical nerds out there. I do want to some, give some, a some Go ahead, go ahead.
2: Something else Something else that stuns me when we talk about Spain, especially when we consider the, the relative absence of like the big star names, you know, there's a lot made about no Real Madrid players, stuff like that uh, coming into the tournament. It's how little we've seen Thiago Alcantara as well. You know, he's, he's basically a peripheral figure in this squad, yet you know i would have him down as one of the i would have had him down as one of their star men coming into the tournament
1: what's funny is that he was the guy at bayern munich that goes to liverpool and his role's kind of similar to spain where you know he's talented you know what he can provide off the bench but you don't really go with him despite you think that he would be able to add to the whole thing it's interesting uh, his his career decisions and how that maybe didn't work out for him the way that he thought that they would i do want to give a shout out though to Jorginho because I think he's been quietly very good and if Verratti can continue playing the way that he did or has in the last couple of games and then obviously Barella is only going to get more confidence from scoring that goal. Uh, Jorginho really has been a nice pivot to help them transition. My only fear I guess for Italy I think Chiesa has to start over Barati. I think he keep that going and Signe going to roll with him. Immobile obviously going to be the guy up top. But now that Spinazzola to your point earlier is out. He has been so good. And I'm sure Jose Mourinho, because he's plays for Roma Spinozola, was thinking, oh, my God, I got one of the best outside backs at this tournament. The future's bright. We're going to lock it down here on this side of the field. And now he's out with an Achilles injury for the next eight, nine, ten, maybe even a year, uh, ten months and almost a year. That is could, could be a place where I think that Spain can take advantage of and create those numerical advantages. Uh, wh- what do you think?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I think that it is a major, major blow for Italy. But also Spain, you know, suffered one of their own blows themselves. You've got Pablo Sarabia, who's now battling to be fit coming into the game. So there are losses on either side. There's always going to be an attritional element Mm -hmm. to this tournament in terms of the squads and injuries. Uh, you know, it's just a real, real shame that that one of the real outstanding performers in Spinazzola, uh, you know, has been ruled out, not just for the remainder of this tournament, but probably for the majority of next season as well. So I, I definitely agree with you. I think that that's going to be a weakness going into this one for Italy, and it's going to depend on how Spain look to to, to exploit that uh, out wide. But if the chances are falling to Alvaro Morata, uh, you know, then I'm going to be backing uh, January Gianluigi <laughs> Donnarumma to, uh, to be warming his gloves.
1: No, that's fair. And this actually could come down to which goalkeeper is hotter, uh, Donnarumma or Unai Simon. So you need a hot goalkeeper to win anything of consequence as well. You need a little bit of luck, you need a hot goalkeeper, and you need a team that's playing well on both sides of the ball. And I think when I look at the whole tournament and leading up to the tournament, I think Italy's just got a little bit more than Spain. So I'm pipping them to to do the business as well and get to the final. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to break down the other two quarterfinals. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Golasso Podcast. I'm Jimmy Conrad, filling in for Luis Miguel Echegaray, and I'm here with the very lovely, the very handsome, the very awesome Jonathan Johnson. You probably thought I was going to say Jimmy Conrad. That's true, too, but I went with Jonathan Johnson. Look
2: look, look at how much I'm
1: Redness, redness everywhere. All right, JJ, let's break down the other two quarterfinals. And again, keeping this in chronological order, let's talk Ukraine. No, 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 they played against England, I'm sorry. Czech Republic versus Denmark, my Danes, baby. My dad was born in Denmark, my grandparents, my uncle. I am 50% Danish, so I'm very biased in this. Very excited to see them score. And they scored early. Do you think that goal really kind of set the tone for them to do the business, give them that belief that, hey, we can continue this special run? Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, I think the Denmark are thriving uh, you know, on this momentum that they've built up since a very, very difficult start to the tournament. And it's, you know, I'm really, I'm pleased to see that they've made it this far because I was really worried for them after everything that happened with Christian Uh, you know, that the tournament was going to, you know, just completely descend into into nothing. Obviously now that that, that Eriksen's out of hospital and reasonably okay, uh, you know, that, that that's great. And it's, it's awesome as well that the, the national team have managed to salvage something. But the thing is, they're not just, Scraping by in these games, been I mean, okay. It was it was two one against Czech Republic. When you look at the the second goal they scored in particular, you know you mentioned Mala uh, of Atalanta earlier. You know that outside of the boot ball in what a ball, fantastic finish from for, fantastic finish from Dolberg. You know they're playing with a real verve and style at the at this moment in time, but they're also a very solid uh, team. You know difficult to break down. It took a very smart finish from Schick. Uh, you know to 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 find the back of the net against them. And I think that they're going to be so much more of a challenge uh, for England than, uh, than Ukraine were. So, no, I think that, that early goal really set the tone for Denmark. Uh, you know, and it's, it, it's fantastic to see them ploughing on in this, in this competition. I think they have a really good chance of making the final. It's not going to be going down well with the, the English fans listening in, but uh, I, I think they're going to be a really tough test.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into England in a second. Don't you worry, everybody. But they were scoring so many goals against Ukraine. I was thinking maybe they should save some of these against Denmark. You don't want to, you know, blow everything in one game and then not have all your luck uh, go away on the scoring side of things. But with regard to Denmark in particular, Thomas Delaney scored on a set piece, a free header, uh, no marking whatsoever. Thank you, Czech Republic. So that was 1-0 after five minutes. Uh, Kasper Dolberg scored off a great pass by Malé, as you said, and that made it 2-0 before half. And actually, I thought, OK, Denmark's going to cruise at this point. But Patrick Schick, Czech Republic, come back into it a couple minutes after halftime. And then I got a little squeaky bum as a Danish fan, like, ah, this, not, this might not be going that well. But the spirit of the Danes, uh, very disciplined and they're defending from that point on. Casper Schmeichel making the saves that he needed to make. And they saw it out, though it got a little edgy at first. I thought Czech Republic had a great tournament. They have a lot to be proud of. Patrick Schick now is tied on top of the Golden Boot standings, if you don't count own goal, Mr. Ongol, with Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's talk about him really quick, because this is the type of performance where even though he's been on the radar of teams, you know, he's been floating around Europe, playing in Germany and playing in Italy. Do you think this was maybe taking him to that next tier? Of, of, hey, we can count on Patrick Schick in big moments, or do you feel like scouts and other coaches are like, ah, it's, it's just the Euros. He just plays well for his country.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a very interesting one because obviously he's one of the, the, the major star performers at this tournament. We've already seen Alexander Izak as well, another guy mm-hmm. who's kind of come to... Uh, you know prominence uh, over these last couple of weeks. He's already been tied down to an improved contract with Real Sociedad. Uh, Borussia Dortmund's buyout option has now sort of been, or uh, you know, their, their way of profiting from any potential future transfer has now been taken care of by Sociedad, which is smart business. And I feel, you know, that that with Schick, it's a it's a similar situation. You've got a new coach coming in uh, at Leverkusen. You know, yes, he's he's been around. He's been to the likes of Roma, uh, RB Leipzig, and it's not quite worked out for him. Leverkusen, you know, were very inconsistent last season. They played some fantastic stuff under Bus at times, and then you know completely lost it. And he ended up uh, parting ways with them. Whether there's a potential reunion for him with uh, with Bus in uh, in Lyon, I'm not I'm not sure because I don't think that Lyon will be able to pay the sort of money uh, that it would require now off the back of these performances to get Schick away. And perhaps you know this is. You know, Schick, uh, you know, showing that he's worth giving another chance uh, at Leverkusen and with Gerardo Serran uh, in as the new coach. Uh, you know, I think that he could really be somebody to, to keep an eye on next season in the Bundesliga.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm curious to see. And to your point, if he does have a good five or six months, I could see him being a big target in the January transfer window for a team that might be looking for a striker who's in good form and obviously has a proven track record for both club and country. So keep your your eyes on, excuse me, uh, Patrick Schick here uh, moving forward. Okay, let's pivot over to Denmark a little bit. Did what they had to do, some really smart performances. Ever since they shifted to a back three, in the third group stage game, that, that they had to win and win big to have the chance to get to the knockout rounds. They're the first team, by the way, to remind everybody to ever lose the first two group stage games and make it to the knockout rounds. So they're playing with house money, and obviously that situation through Christian Eriksen, they're living through something and, and got through it in a positive way that you can't replicate. You know, you can't, yeah, there's there's a lot of teams with good vibes. even England, everybody that's winning, they've got a good team spirit and everything. But what the Danish players went through in particular. I feel like it just sets them apart. They've got this perspective that whatever they're doing, it's just for fun. They're having a good time. And, and I feel like that gives them a little bit of an edge in some, in some ways because they've got nothing to lose. And, and England going back to Wembley for the semis, and we'll get into a little bit of a preview there, just could be a lot of pressure on those guys. And I'll give you my insight on that once we get to the Ukraine game. Now, with regard to Denmark, they went to a back three, and they've scored 10 goals in three games since then. Do you think they can keep it up against an English team that have yet to give up a goal in this tournament?
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I, because at the end of the day, I don't think that England have really faced uh, you know that much attacking might. You know, with all due respect to Germany, Germany had a lot of star names on paper, but in terms of what they produced on the pitch, you know, there was very little aside from that goal glut against Portugal. Uh, you know, it's they they were pretty underwhelming, uh, and then you know going up against this Ukraine side you know, okay, I didn't expect Ukraine to get blown out uh, like that. But also at the same time, you know, this Denmark team are a completely different beast. And if you have guys like Mahler uh, in, in such good form going forward, Dolberg as well, who's now on this hot streak, uh, you know, I I, th- I think as well, you know, and I don't, I don't want to dismiss what England uh, and Italy have uh, as being superficial, you know, because obviously both are going through very feel-good moments at, at this moment in time. But, you know, what Denmark kind of have in terms of their chemistry, what they've experienced, you know, it's it's something real. It's it's something that they will be able to, uh, you know, remember whenever things get tough. Uh, you know, for this group of, of of players in the national team at this moment in time, over the next couple of years, and they're, when they're required to dig deep emotionally, they'll be able to do it because of everything they've been through. Whereas for England and Italy, it's based on good form. Sure, in Italy's case, that's a long run uh, of good mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for, for Denmark to go through these real, these real emotions, uh, you know, I think that really sets them apart. And they're now playing with, with a feeling of absolutely nothing to lose. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, the first team to, to lose both their opening games and still advance this far. That's a fantastic achievement. And, you know, they're basically, you know, throwing all caution to the wind. Uh, and that's what makes them, them so dangerous. You know, they're playing with this confidence that it's, it's impossible, uh, you know, to, to generate solely out of uh, results on their
1: own. Yeah, it seems like they're playing for something bigger than themselves, you know? And, and we can see how the other teams with a good team spirit, it's about the team, but Denmark feels like they're playing for the team. They're playing for Christian Eriksen. They're playing for their whole country. They, it's, it's, a, it's a vibe that I think can help propel them to potentially get a good result against England in the semifinals. And speaking of England, let's get to it. Let's talk about their match against Ukraine. <laughs> they came out guns blazing, getting an early goal with Harry Kane, who needed some goals. He got one at the end of the last game against Germany, and now he gets one at the beginning of this one. Obviously, we'll just start with him in particular. I thought that that was going to be a challenge for them to finally leave England to go play in Rome and and not have that home field advantage. But because of the amount of pressure and scrutiny this English national team is under, maybe it's better if they are away from home, similar to Manchester United. We're so good at, at Old Trafford this season, but when they were away from home, it's like they could relax and play. And I actually thought that England looked like they relaxed and played today and Ukraine had no chance
2: yeah absolutely Uh, I mean another thing that I would say is that they timed their first two goals very very well you know getting (laughs) a very early goal in the first half a very early goal in the second half that basically killed Mm -hmm. uh, any momentum for Ukraine and they were getting back into it a little bit in the first half okay they weren't creating too much Uh, but also at the same time uh, you know after England went 1-0 up it kind of felt like a bit of an underwhelming remainder of the first half from them but it's that first 20 minutes of the second half, you know, where England really killed it. Uh, you know, the, the the link up between Sterling and Kane at the beginning of the match was great. Shaw really came into it, you know, building on a good performance against Czech Republic, uh, his assist against Germany, uh, you know, and that will boost them uh, in terms of their confidence. That will make them feel really, uh, you know, like uh, nothing is going to be able to stop them from reaching this final on home soil. And that, I think, is where I worry for England now, because they're, Okay, you know, Ukraine, I'm not going to say Ukraine didn't deserve to get this far, you know, but Ukraine and Denmark, they're two totally different beasts. Denmark is so much more solid. uh, There's a lot greater ability across the board. And I just feel that England, you know, they kind of set themselves up for a, a potential fall here because
1: yes because that's what they do just say it jonathan that's what they do (laughs) england build up that hope get you so hyped and then all of a sudden they're going to let you down when you think that they should win the game that you think they should win you know it's just too much sometimes
2: Yeah. And that's basically what we're saying, that this was England's Euro final.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's coming home, everybody. You absolutely love to see it. What else I love to see is Jordan Henderson scoring his first ever goal for the national team. I thought that was a really cool moment for him in particular. And obviously he made it 4-0, really put the cherry on top of that performance. What did you think, though, about Jaden Sancho? I put out a tweet that Coincidence? I think not. Jaden Sancho finally gets to start and England score more goals in this game than in any other game so far in the tournament. Yeah, I know he wasn't involved in all the set-piece goals, and I get all of that, but I just wanted to stir the pot a little bit. And I thought it was pretty funny that he actually got to start in the first place when other players, Saka in particular, had been man of the match. Grealish obviously proving his worth. But yet again, we see Gareth Southgate pushing all the right buttons and picking the right players to start.
2: Yeah I mean I said that uh, early on in the tournament that Gr- the Southgate was sort of reading from the Didier Deschamps 2018 World Cup uh, prayer book it's you know he he is he is pushing all the right buttons he's he's managing his squad well uh, you know and he picked his moment to to put Sancho in. I think maybe he was waiting for to to be able to see that sort of motivation that mm-hmm. hunger mm-hmm. i mean he was speaking a lot in the build up to the game about how he felt that sancho had gone to another level in training a lot of people saying like oh maybe it's because the the negotiations uh with manchester united were dragging and now that that's sorted and you know it's out in the open he's playing with a lot more freedom whatever it was uh you know it seemed like it was the right moment to add him to the team and you know the performance showed that you know i think the england looked a lot more fluid uh, in attack uh you know they looked like um much greater threat whether that's down to ukraine just not being that great defensively i guess we're gonna find that out against denmark and if sancho starts again or is southgate gonna look to make another change throw us another curveball and put somebody else in like Grealish?
1: okay let's get your crystal ball out jj i know you like this let's just look ahead just a little bit everybody just gonna look ahead who would you go with if you're gareth southgate based on everything you've seen so far in this tournament from all your players who is your ideal starting lineup is, or let's just start with the formation, because I think that will influence who starts for you. Do you go with a back three and match what Denmark's doing, or do you go to a back four, which obviously had a lot of success today against Ukraine?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think that you can really change uh, that much for, for, from what we saw today against Ukraine. I think when you when you put in that sort of performance, you've built up that sort of confidence. You, you have to go with them again uh but it's up to the players to not get too complacent and i think that's where the real danger lies for england i don't think it's necessarily in who southgate puts out now it's whether those players can uh you know keep a cool head not get too carried away with what they've done yes it's impressive but at the end of the day they've only done what was asked of them so far and like i said this denmark team is going to be a lot tougher uh, and they're going to be tested more uh at the back especially
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Denmark are quietly very good defensively, especially through World Cup qualifying and the Nations League. And yes, obviously, they're a little bit all over the place to start the tournament for obvious reasons, but uh, they seem to be locking things down in a more meaningful way. I do want to give a shout out, though, and I want to get your thoughts on this, JJ, to the left side of England's team. Luke Shaw, two assists today. Raheem Sterling assists today. He could be up for player of the tournament. When you're looking at England, who has been the best player on the English national team for you so far?
2: You know what? I think Shaw is a really good candidate. I was really impressed with him against the Czech Republic. And then he's obviously started to to, to chip in with the assists against Germany uh, and now against Ukraine as well. So for me, I'd I'd say that in terms of their impact over the whole tournament, it would definitely be be between Shaw and Sterling. I mean, Sterling's chipped in with some very important goals. Uh, You know, obviously the only goals in the match is against Croatia and uh, Czech Republic. So, you know, I I think it's definitely going to be between the two of them so far. And, it's going to be so important that they deliver once again against Denmark because they're going to have to do a lot more uh, if they want uh, some success against this Danish side.
1: Okay, I'm going to go first. Just a, just a quick early prediction, and I'll give you guys my, my reasons moving forward when we do our full blown preview next week on the Kegel Lasso Pod. I think that this is going to be a draw after 90 minutes. From there, everybody at the current moment, I don't know what's going to happen. You roll the dice in extra time, potentially penalties, but I think the Danes are just going to have that little something. But they have to score first, in my opinion. And I know England have not given up a goal yet, but I could see it happening. I could see whatever it is coming into this, maybe a little bit of overconfidence from scoring four against the Ukraine, maybe underestimating the Danes, though nobody should at this point if you get to a semifinal. But all of a sudden, I think Denmark, very similar to what they did against Belgium in the group stages, they came out, they high-pressed, they put Belgium under the gun. They were very good in that first half, and they scored that early goal, and then Belgium Kevin De Bruyne in particular came on as a super sub and scored a great goal and had an assist as well, but I liked what I saw from the Danes. I think they're going to be very difficult. So I like the draw. And then from there, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe the luck will finally fall on on the side of the English in this competition in particular, and they'll book their ticket to Wembley for the final. That's where I'm leaning. I took the risk to go first. How about you, JJ? What are you saying?
2: You know what? I'm actually in the same boat because I think both uh, semi-finals are gonna to go to extra time. Wow I think
1: bold shout.
2: <laughs> I I agree with you that, that I think it's really important that Denmark score first. Uh, you know I think the, the Wembley is going to be absolutely bouncing after that win over Ukraine. Uh, and I think as well the, the crowd will be quick to get on England's back if they make an underwhelming start, say the first sort of 20 minutes, feeling their way around this this Denmark team not really creating much in the way of clear cut chances. And I think the Denmark really needs to capitalize that. Either that uh, you know, or they just go guns blazing the, the way that they did when they got the early goal against uh, Belgium. Uh, you know, and I think if they do that, then anything can happen. It's going to be a real test of England's mettle if they do concede um, fall behind for the first time this tournament. But also at the same time, you know, this, this tournament's been designed almost for England to win it with the, the amount of home advantage that they have.
1: We'll see if they can take advantage of it because as we've seen countless times, England does sometimes wilt under the pressure of their own from their own media and their own fans. But it seems like there's a different, different vibe around it this time around. I don't know if it's the pandemic or what's going on, but there seems to be, everybody's kind of rowing the boat in the same direction and not working against each other. So that's a nice feeling. If you're an English fan Well, Jonathan Johnson, man, myth and legend. Thank you so much for being a part of this with me today. And I look forward to sharing the podcast with you again in the future.
2: Absolutely, it's been an absolute pleasure, and you've been a fantastic fill-in host.
1: Oh, the highest of praise. Fill- of course, I can't replace fr- Luis fr- Miguel Echegaray, but but I'm a good number two. The fill-in host with the most. <laughs> Jonathan Johnson, everybody. Another fantastic episode of K Golasso is in the book. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at K Pod with your comments, your concerns, your questions, anything you want us to discuss in the future. And make sure you tune in next week. We're going to have so much Euro coverage, Copa America coverage, and for all you CONCACAF fans out there, a very special Gold Cup preview as well. So thank you for listening as always, and I'll see you next time.